This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the beautiful and intuitive website platform that allows anyone to easily create professional web pages, blogs, online stores, and galleries on a single platform. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME4. Hi, this is Ibarian X, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's episode is one that I think, or I hope, is one that you find to be a, a really special one. I have interviewed a lot of photographers and looked at a lot of work, but this is the first piece of work in a while that really moved me. And when I discovered it, and when today's guest agreed to be interviewed for, for the show, I was really, really looking forward to it. Because I thought that it's work that's deserving of attention. And I'm really thrilled that he was gracious enough to spend some time with me, despite some technical hiccups that we we had along the way. The work of Angelo Merendino is moving because the subject of this personal body of work is his wife, who uh, struggled with breast cancer. And the, the story of their journey and their struggles with that disease is documented in his in his project, The Battle We Didn't Choose, My Wife's Fight with Breast Cancer. Whether you've gone through this personally or, or not, it really gives you a glimpse into the challenges that are faced, not only physically as someone who's receiving treatment and trying to recover from the, from the disease, but the emotional impact it has on an individual, uh, on a couple, on a family, and what people who are going through this need to do in order to be able to get through it. The images really speak for themselves, and I think that when you have a chance to take a look at the photographs and hear the interview, that you're really going to be struck by how photographs can communicate an experience to others in a really magical, moving, and, and intimate way. I have a mad respect for photographers who are able to turn their cameras to the most personal aspects of their life, and it's not an easy thing to do. And it's wonderful that photographers like Angela do do this because the resulting images and the stories that they tell are really important ones. Whether you have someone in your life today that is suffering from cancer or have had someone in your life, I think you'll take away a lot from this conversation that has something to do with photography but has a whole lot more to do with just, just being human. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Angelo Marandino. Angelo, welcome to The Candid Frame. Hey, thank you for uh, having me here. I got to check out the work that you've done on this project uh, a little while ago. The more I've looked at it, the more moved I've been by the, by the entire story. Tell me, I mean, one of the biggest questions that I, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people have is why document this experience of your wife's battle with cancer? It's not an easy thing to go through with or without a camera, and it's such a painful, difficult, challenging process. Why the choice to document it to begin with? I don't think it was, I mean, it was a choice, but what happened is that Jen was initially diagnosed in February of 2008 with breast cancer. And that was five months after our wedding. You know, obviously Jen, 
myself, our family and friends, we were all shocked and had no idea what was about to happen or what we were about to go through. And although there had been cancer in both of our families, you know, Jen was 36. We had just gotten married. It was such a shock. So uh, we started treatment, which began with a double mastectomy. And then Jennifer had chemotherapy and radiation and reconstructive surgery. And this all lasted about seven months. And during that time, our family and friends were incredible. They were always coming to see us, checking in to see what we needed. You know, people would send dinner or, you know, send cards. Our nephews and nieces, who are only a few years old, would make pictures for us. And everything that people were, could do to help, they were doing. There were fundraisers to help us with our, you know, financial expenses. And we needed every bit of that because our life was nonstop cancer. In the morning when we woke up, it was go. And it was, um, I can't imagine ha- having to go through that without our support group. So after that, we started to put our life back together. And our biggest fear became our reality in April of 2010. That's when Jen's cancer metastasized to her, her hip and uh, liver, her bone and liver, basically. And we were back in treatment. But this time we noticed that our family and friends weren't really responding the way they did before. And there was a little bit of an attitude like, oh, you guys are going to be okay. You just have to be positive and you're getting treatment at a great place. And while those are important things, and we were very positive and, and, and aggressive and we were receiving treatment at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, which is one of the top cancer centers. But we noticed from people's responses and the lack of response at times that people didn't understand. You know, they, they didn't realize how serious Jen's illness was. You know, Jennifer kept a blog, which is uh, very open and honest. You know, she was always open with sharing her experience because she had found a few support groups where these women would get together. Uh, there were breast cancer support groups and they would share what they had been through and they could help each other. So Jen was a little disappointed at the lack of information that she could find about the actual day-to-day life with breast cancer that she started her own blog so that if anybody wanted to find this information that was there. The site is actually called mylifewithbreastcancer.wordpress.com. At that point, though, you know, Jen had her blog and we were trying to tell people what was going on, but we weren't getting the response and we needed it. So I started making photographs then. And it was only for family and friends because we wanted them to see what we were going through. And, and we hoped that by seeing this, that then they would respond and they would be there for us. So the photographs kind of came out of necessity. A friend encouraged me to share them with some other, you know, with other people to put them online. And and after I did that, people started responding that they were, you know, moved by our story and that, you know, other women with cancer were contacting us to say that Jennifer was very inspiring to them. And then a few women contacted us to say that they set up mammograms because of Jennifer. It just became this thing that we realized there's a need for people to see this. Since there were things that other people had done before us, sharing their story or uh, going on a trial prescription or basically doing something that was going to help people in the future, we wanted to do something that would you know, leave an impact on cancer aside from Jennifer losing her life. Yeah, it, it just kind of became its own thing after that. When you both were first talking about sharing these images outside of the, the family, what was the discussion like in determining, okay, 
if we're going to do this, are there any limits? I mean, is are we going to put everything out there? Are, are there certain things that are just going to be sort of taboo? I know that you probably were photographing a, a lot, but was there sort of discussion in terms of how much you guys were willing to share? Because, you know, at, at that moment, you, you guys are still hopeful. So, but there was still the possibility that, you know, things could get pretty bad. So was there any discussion in terms of, okay, at some point, you know, we shouldn't share these kinds of images or... Well, Jen and I were very close and we were before cancer. And then when this came into play, we just kept growing closer and we trusted each other. And Jen knew that I wasn't going to make photographs that were inappropriate. And she also knew that my first priority was taking care of her. And the camera was was always second. It kind of happened a little more natural. And I think because of that trust that we didn't have to really set up boundaries but, you know, Jen, she believed in this. And, and there was one incident where, not an incident, but Jen was taking methadone for pain medication. And the side effects were very, they were very intense. You know, she would start to fall asleep and she would motion like she was still awake and very kind of emphatic gestures. And one night we were in the hospital and this started happening. And I, you know, when this was happening, I, I couldn't do anything. You know, which was one of the hardest things about all of this was the times when all I could do was just sit there with her. I couldn't make something go away. I couldn't make the methadone side effects stop. I couldn't, you know, rub her back to make the nausea go away. But so this was happening one night and I photographed Jen. There, there's a photograph on my website where Jen's, you know, laying in a hospital bed and you can see that she's kind of waving her arms around. And, and I made it because I had basically told myself to not really think about photographs, but when I feel something in my gut, make a picture. And my camera was always with me and I always had it, you know, set for the proper exposure. So, so I made this photograph and, you know, however long after that, we were back home out of the hospital and I saw the photograph and converted it to black and white. And I showed Jennifer and I said, is this too much? You know, is this too personal? Do you want me to delete these files? And Jen just said, you know, no, I don't want that because it's what really happened. So neither of us wanted to candy coat this because we kind of felt like that was sort of the problem, that the things you see on television or a lot of things you see online are so watered down because I don't know why, but we didn't want to hold back from what this actual experience was like because we felt that it was important for people to know these things, you know, to know what was actually going on. And that was... You know, Jen was doing this on her blog before I started with the photographs. So I really feel like I kind of just took the torch from her and am carrying on with the conversation that she started. Yeah. In terms of your own feelings throughout this whole process, you know, when when you're in the position of having to be the primary caregiver to someone that you care about who's, who's suffering from a disease, oftentimes it's the work of providing help that gives you a sort of sense of purpose. And it's often that work that helps us to sort of put our own feelings to the side for the most part, because it can be really overwhelming uh, at times. And I'm wondering how both being the caregiver, but also also bringing in the role of photography helped you to contend with that. Do you feel like it helped you to sort of process it in the midst of it? Or did you feel at times that it was allowing you to sort of delay whatever feelings you were having to some some other point in the future? Yeah, you know, I um, taking care of Jennifer was it for me. You know, I woke up in the morning and I, I knew what I had to do. It was 
my purpose. And um, I've struggled since Jennifer died because I, I miss that, you know, I miss taking care of her. And while all of this was going on, there were many thoughts that were going through my head or realities. Like I remember when the cancer had spread to Jen's brain, which was in October, which was about two months before she died. I had a conversation with our social worker who was wonderful, this wonderful woman. And she just wanted to get me on the right page. She was looking out for me and she said, Hey, you know, I just want to make sure that you understand how serious this is because she knew how hopeful Jennifer and I were, but she wanted to make sure that I knew that this was very serious. And, you know, this was a conversation that I couldn't go and say, Hey, Jen, I just talked to Roz and things are serious. I mean, I I had to hold a lot of things in. I just needed to be strong for her. And And if I thought too much about some of these things, I felt like it would kind of knock me down and I wouldn't be able to take care of her. But I I knew there was going to be a time when I would think of these things or face these thoughts and feelings. And the camera was kind of a distraction, even though I was photographing thing I was trying to distract myself from. But I find that now is when the, the photographs have really come into play because you know, they're very therapeutic now. They, they help me to remember things that I may have forgotten because there was so much going on. Or I see photographs of Jen laughing and I, I'm happy. Or I see photographs of, you know, the, the challenges we face and what we turned it into. And I'm, I'm proud of that, you know, that we were able to make something positive out of Jen passing. So, you know, the camera had many different roles. It may have been a shield at times, but it was, you know, being in that, caregiving role, it it takes over everything or it can if you choose to do that. And I know some people do things a different way, but that was all I wanted was that purpose in life of making Jen comfortable or making her laugh or doing whatever I could so that she could just concentrate on facing cancer. Hmm. Well, tell me about when you first met her. You you guys met in Cleveland, but what's the story about the first moment you had a chance to to see her and, and talk to her? Tell me about that. Oh, I love at first sight. I I knew I was applying for a bartending job at a restaurant and Jen was the manager. So this place only served dinner. And uh, I stepped over one day and saw a sign on the window, you know, the kind you always hear about back in 15 minutes getting supplies or whatever. So I waited and uh, a few minutes later, you know, at that time, Jen had a, a black VW Beetle. So I see it pulling in the parking lot and I got up to walk around the corner and greet the person. And I saw Jen and just stopped. I knew, you know, I knew I was going to marry her. And, you know, my, my dad in, in 1951, when he first met my mom, later that night, he went home to his four younger sisters and he sang, I found her, you know, so two weeks later he proposed and this year is going to be their 62nd anniversary. So I, oh, wow. I had seen that. I, I didn't necessarily think that I was going to experience that. But when I saw Jen and felt that, I remember thinking like, yep, you know, I, I've seen it before. My parents are living proof of this. And, but the thing is that she didn't, she didn't really feel the earth shake the way <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, and Jen was, um, Jen was tough, you know, so she kind of put on a, a bit of a tough front. So anyway, she hired me and I would go into work and I, and I would get so nervous around her just because she, she was, it wasn't just that she was beautiful physically. She just, she was full of life and she was confident in her own way, you know, like a, not an egotistical way, but just, I remember feeling like I got to do a better job because this is how she is, you know? So a month later, she got a job with L'Oreal 
and moved to New York. And this, you know, I, I hadn't had the guts to ask her out at that point. So she moved and we would keep in touch. I used to visit New York. Uh, a band that I was playing in would record there and play shows. And I'd always make time to see Jen. A few months later, I finally worked up the courage and told her I had a crush on her, which was, you know, not the smoothest of ways to tell someone you're crazy about her. It's kind of like third grade all over again. But <laughs> she um, she said, you know, I, I feel the same way. And, and it was great. We just at that point, you know, I, I was in Cleveland. She was in New York and we just we were a little older. We had been through our relationships and things and realized what we didn't want. And we just felt like, you know, life's hard enough as it is. So we, we love each other. So let's make life easier for each other. Like, you know, when you go out to face the, the, the world each day, you put your helmet on. And then when you come home and take it off, it's like there's no need for any kind of stress or drama here. Let's just be good to each other. And so we always had that kind of relationship. And we were always able to, to talk and listen to each other and communicate. You know, dating long distance enabled us to do that. We, we had to really listen. And thankfully, we were able to, to build some good communication skills considering what we were about to face. But yeah, but after six months of dating long distance, I moved to New York to be with Jen and proposed to her that night. I got down on one knee at this Italian restaurant that we really love in the Lower East Side. Got down and proposed and she yelled, shut up. <laughs> so, you know, she's got some, some great ways of really taking the wind out of my sails. Not intentional, but, but then she grabbed the ring out of my hand and it was... It was good. So, but it was, you know, we just, we just had fun. I'm a better person having known her, you know? When you love someone, there are so many things you, you really like about them. When you finally had the chance to be with her in New York and you guys were, you know, starting off your, your life together, it can be really jarring because you're, you know, you're, you're leaving everything that you've known behind. What was it about her that sort of made that whole experience, that whole transition such mm -hmm. a good time for you guys. What was it about her personality you felt like, man, being with her makes all this so much easier? You know, it was just that Jen cared. She knew that I was moving to New York and that I had to figure out how to get around there. And for example, where she works, she said to people, hey, you know, my fiance just moved here. He's looking for work. This is what he can do. If anybody knows of anything, let me know. And sure enough, somebody called and said, hey, the place I used to work at is going to need a, a front office manager. Uh, he should apply. Uh, and I got a job there. But Jen was always looking out for people. She was the kind of friend who knew what was going on in your life and would think about it and would call you up at a random time and say, hey, I was thinking about this thing that you told me a few months ago or whatever it is. And again, it was that friendship. I, I knew that it was Jen and me versus the world. And I, I knew that it, if I was coming home to Jen, anything I could face was going to be a piece of cake because she just... Um, she had a way of bringing the best out of people, you know, and it was it was by example. The way that she lived her life made me want to to live my life in a better way. Mm. That was a big part of it. And the other part of it was just that, you know, we would joke about everything and we would laugh. And like I mentioned earlier, it was like life's hard enough. But when we came, we were finally back together and we were together all the time. It was it was just fun, whether it was walking through the park or sitting in our apartment getting groceries and renting movies and not leaving the apartment for the weekend and just having, having fun, you know, uh, she was full of life and, and he just couldn't help, but want to be part of that too. Now I want to take the time to thank our friends 
at Squarespace for sponsoring the show. I just recently built my own website, which you can find at abarionx.net. And after having created the website using Squarespace, I really have to wonder why I waited so long to build a website using their service. They have these templates, and they're 100% drag and drop. And I know you hear that a lot, but believe me, until you've had the chance to to use it, you won't you won't believe how easy it is to build a website. This new page builder tool that they call the Layout Engine enabled me to customize pages in seconds by adding these blocks of content, and they included videos, photos, text, social media content, and I could immediately preview the layout as I went along. And it just makes it incredibly easy to, to, to build a website. And these templates are, are just beautiful in there. And they offer so many ways of customizing the look, including changes to the grid layout, colors, and they have over 300 fonts and, and even more. Take a look at the video I've recently uploaded to the CandidFrame.com blog, as well as my YouTube channel. And you'll actually see my entire process for building a site. And I hope that it's valuable to you. But more importantly, why don't you go out and try it for yourself? This is a free account, so there's no credit card needed to just try it out and start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, you can use the code CANDIDFRAME4 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, including monthly and annual plans. That's squarespace.com and use the code CANDIDFRAME4. Everything you need to create an exceptional website. Could you tell me about the the day that you found out that um, that you found out she had cancer? What what are your memories of that day? Uh, at that time, I was working at a design and fabrication studio, and I was out on a delivery. Uh, fortunately, I had a coworker with me because I saw that Jen was calling, and you know, at this point, Jen had been you know getting getting tests done, and so doctors were calling constantly and. So when I saw that she was calling, I, I pulled the truck over and answered the phone. And Jen said, you know, the, the doctors are pretty certain that it's cancer. I remember going numb immediately, uh, telling my coworker that he had to drive and that we had to go back to the office because I had to go. Yeah, I told Jen, I said, all right, you know, she was at work when she got the call. I said, get in a cab and go home and I'll be there immediately. So I, I met her at our apartment and, you know, we, we were both so unaware of what was about to happen. I mean, how, how would we know? We were in shock. And I just remember we held each other and, and we felt like, okay, well, we're together. We're going to get through this. I remember telling her that. It was just saying, okay, you know, I'm, it's you and me. And, and that's, like I had mentioned earlier, we were always like that. It was Jen and Angelo against the world. Not like in a, a combative way, but like, okay, we have each other. We're going to help each other and, and make things easier. And but, you know, I, I, I still feel numb. I still feel a, a bit out of step with everything. And that day it was like someone flipped a switch and life got very serious. Our, our mortality was basically put right in front of our face. You know, I still feel that same, like, disbelief and waiting for this to be a dream. So in some strange way, I, I don't ever want to not feel that because I feel like that's what helps me to appreciate everything that I do have in life and uh, all of the, the good things. You know, that, that it was a very humbling and grounding moment. You know, the preciousness of life was put right in front of us. 
You have an image on, on the site where you're cutting off her hair and you take a ref- picture of you cutting her hair while you're taking a picture. It's a reflection mm-hmm. in the mirror. And it's just a wonderful, intimate moment between the two of you. And just the sort of calmness and, and peace that she seems at that particular moment. It's just a wonderful shot. Can you tell me about that that shot and how that, that came about? Yeah, that photograph, uh, I remember making it so clearly. Jen had been admitted to the hospital a few days before that. And it was the first, you know, obviously we didn't know at the exact moment, but it was the first hospital stay that you know, we were there for almost two weeks. And that was the first of many hospital stays like that for the following year and, until Jen passed. Jen was receiving chemotherapy and she was noticing how her hair at this point, you know, if she ran her hands through her hair, there was so much coming out and her pillow was covered with it. And it's an emotional thing. Like people don't, you know, people have said, oh, well, your hair is just falling out, whatever. And it's like, no, it's because you have cancer. And it's this constant reminder that you wake up in the morning and you see so much hair on your pillow. And that's why I've been talking with women. That's why a lot of women will shave their head because they just don't want that constant reminder as if a bald head isn't the same. But so we were in the hospital and the evening before I made that photograph, uh, some of our family and friends were there. And I remember it was like everyone else just became uh, a blur and and inaudible sounds or or not, you know, like a mumbling. And Jen and I just looked across the room at each other and she was holding a little bit of hair in her hand. And she said, bring the clippers tomorrow. You know, it was one of those moments where we often detached ourselves from everything else because we had to. Then next morning, I brought the clippers. One of the things about that photograph that amazes me is that Jen does have a very calm, confident feeling, but she was in so much pain because the cancer had, when it spread to her hip, she was having this side effect called radiation recall, where the radiation treatment that was done damaged tissue in the surrounding area. And Jen had, you know, she was swollen beyond recognition in in this area of her body. And again, the pain was incredible. Basically, I was going to shave her head and I said, Jen, can I make a quick photo? And she was like, yeah, but it has to be quick because I can't stand for too long. I I didn't even really, again, I didn't think it was kind of like, oh, I just have a quick second. I want to make a photograph of me shaving Jen's head. And I made two quick photographs and then I shaved her head. It's just, to me, it's interesting because all the chaos that was going on until it was like, okay, two quick photographs at like whatever, one twenty one one hundred twenty fifth of a second. And it captured this calm confidence. And as soon as the camera was done, it was like, okay, shave her head, her hips bothering her, get her back in bed and, and get more pain medicine. Mm. You know, so, you know, with these photographs, for me, one of the challenging parts with editing and even just viewing them is I remember everything that was going on around them. I remember just, you know, what was just outside of the frame, you know, or who was there or the sounds or what was going on. And so when, when people see some photographs, they not knowing that it's, it's interesting to hear what people think of the photographs because I have a hard time detaching myself and just looking at one photograph as one photograph. It, it, to me, it's just like another part of this sequence that was our life. Yeah. You have several images in the, in the gallery on the website, which show people's reactions to Jen. Yeah. After she, you know, had shaved her head and, and where she was dependent on a walker to, to get around. Tell us about 
your first observations of other people's reactions and why you you chose to to start documenting that that reaction of people in the photographs. Well, that first hospital visit that I just told you about is when we came home with a walker when it was finished, and our doctors had said it's best for Jen to get out and walk every day, even just small walks. So that's what we would do. You know, like on, on a side note, these little walks became one of our things where it was our time together. Even though cancer was still very present, it was our time to go for a walk. And we lived close to Central Park. So we would sometimes we would just walk down by the edge of the park and sit there. And But the first day that we came home from the hospital, you know, the first couple of days, Jen didn't get out. So we were still getting settled in. But a few days after that, we went for a walk. And immediately we started noticing that people were turning their head. We noticed that it was men and women, adults and children, different ethnicities. It, it didn't necessarily upset us that they were looking at us. I mean, it was a reminder to Jen that she was different and that she was ill, but we were curious. We wondered why are people so surprised? And, and I guess maybe again, like I said earlier, people don't talk a lot about this kind of thing. So I just started carrying my camera right down by my side so people wouldn't be able to change their reaction. I, I wanted them to not know they were being photographed. And uh, I think at first it was almost just like something to do for Jen and me to make light of the fact that they were staring at her. And then it again, you know, we started noticing like, oh, here's one with an adult. Here's one with a young woman. Here's an older lady. What are they thinking? And then it just became part of our walk you know mm-hmm. as, as much as the walker and the pain medication and everything else was part of the walk my camera at my side was another part of it and I guess just you know I, I just want to show that that just because someone looks different there's there's still a human they still have feelings just because someone is has had their body altered because of a disease or or looks different it doesn't mean that they're not someone's wife or daughter or someone who has feelings and um you know, I think it just goes with the general story that people aren't too aware of the reality of breast cancer. Yeah. You know, that it, you're not going to wear a, a bandana or a pink ribbon or a nice uh, hat and it's going to be okay. It's it's the reality that you're going to go for a walk and people are going to look at you because you look different. So I guess just, just trying to show a little more of this reality, like this is it, people. It's um, It's real and it happens to everyone. Yeah. You, you talked earlier about the one of the reasons why you started taking the, the photographs was just to reveal to family members and friends what you guys were going through. But as you mentioned, as she started, as she continued writing on her blog and you started sharing the images, there were a lot of people who you didn't know that started sending notes and sending messages to her. And and I want to I want you to talk about the community that sort of built around that and as well as the friends that she developed who are also going through the same experience because they play a pivotal role in in the latter days of her of her life tell us about those relationships and why they were so important for you guys to be able to to get through it as best you could the, the outpouring of support was and continues to be amazing i don't know where i would be right now if i didn't have these photographs in in this whole story I, you know it gives me a lot of strength to get moving on days that are very difficult, just feeling that, you know, Jen is still inspiring and helping people. So to have that response and to see what people say or to read that someone, you know, 
some people send messages saying that their father or their mother or father died when they were a kid. And, and these photographs have helped them to better understand their, their remaining parent or, you know, people they know who have gone through this and these photographs give them a better idea of how to, to be there for them. That's, you know, I, I, I'm thankful that that's what came from our experience, but the relationships were so important because for Jen, she was dying. And when people would say, Oh, I just don't have time or I don't know what to say. You know, for Jen, that was the translation was my life isn't worth you making the effort. And I can't imagine how hard that hit Jennifer, but from the person who, I mean, she was my wife. She was everything to me. I, I, I got a good sense of how much that hurt her. And it, it hurt me as well. And that was so upsetting to her. And she didn't need that. It, it was just kind of like, look, people, she may not be here for much longer. So you need to take advantage of this moment. You need to be here. Because once this is, once Jen dies, she's, she dies, you know. These relationships were important because she needed to feel that love from people. Again, it was her life. She knew what was happening. And when people would stop over to see us or stop over with dinner or make a phone call, it just, it was a good feeling. It was love and it was something that wasn't cancer. And, and I can't stress how important that was to us. And now some people maybe are more, more quiet about their life with cancer. And that's fine. I'm not saying that the way it was for us is the way it has to be for everyone. But some days it's so hard. And if, if the one thing that gets you through is a friend stopping over with flowers to say, Hey, I just wanted to stop by to say, I love you. That's huge. Like there were days when that was the thing that, that that was the thing that made that day. Okay. As opposed to tests that came back that said, yeah, the cancer has spread or whatever it was that was bad news. Those little moments, those little things that people did, you know, we could try to focus on that instead of what was happening with cancer. So I think your images really succeed in, in being able to reveal how lonely it can be going through this process and how in, in some of the images, particularly one of the images that, that happened within days of before she dies, where she's surrounded by these women who are just kissing her and enveloping her. And I think you, your, your images sort of reveal the sort of extremes that people can go through emotionally when they're going through this? Well, we felt uh, very different. I say we, and we always talked about that, how, you know, it was us. But even so, when I think about Jen and how different she felt, you know, she had lost her breasts. Her ovaries were removed. Her hair, hair fell out. So even just on a female side, or even as a guy, I, I can't imagine what it would be like for parts of my body that are so... There's such a representation of being a male for them to be gone because of a disease. And so Jen felt very different. Wherever we went, there was that feeling that I'm different and everyone here knows, even if they didn't know. I mean, she knew. And so at times, you know, we did feel very alone and not, not excluded, but, you know, you hear other couples our age who are talking about having a baby. What are they going to name their baby? Or, you know, what color are they going to paint their bathroom and all these things that we expected to do as a young couple. And then we think, well, yeah, that's not going to happen for us because Jen has metastatic cancer. Mm -hmm. So there is a loneliness with it that again, when you see these, 
movies or whatever or, or things that are on television and someone dies of cancer peacefully and and sits by the bedroom window and looks out at the garden and all these things. I'm not saying that there aren't moments of peacefulness like that, but I don't think that people talk about the loneliness and the emptiness and how it feels sometimes to, to feel like you've been deserted. Like when, when people don't show up, I mean, there was an old friend of Jennifer's, you know, I mentioned earlier how Jennifer was this great loving friend and she had gone to bat for this other woman many times and never gave up on this woman. And, and finally, this woman, she hadn't been around and she told Jen to her face. She said, I don't, I just don't do illness. And I thought that is the, and I wasn't there for this, or I would have promptly escorted her out the apartment. But I thought that is the coldest, most cruel thing you could say to someone who's facing cancer that you don't do illness. And so when things like that happen, I mean, it, it just, it broke my heart because I knew what Jen was going through and I knew how much it hurt. And as much as I would try to tell people, get here, call her, do something, and when they wouldn't, it just kind of felt like, like, like I said about Jen's comment earlier about this is her life. You know, if someone can't make time, that's like beyond the ultimate insult. So at times we felt just like aliens, you know, and I see a very similar thing now as a widower where people don't know what to say to me or how to be around me or people who will keep their distance I don't think it's quite the same, obviously, as what Jen went through because I still have my health, but it, it is a very, at times you feel like you're just the only person, you know? Yeah. You have a wonderful set of images and you have a multimedia link on your, on your, on your site to the day you took Jen out to the beach. Yeah. And I loved that, that multimedia piece you did. Thank you. Uh, it just was so touching because you could experience just how difficult it was for her to be able to do that, but how much joy she derived from being able to get into the water. Could you tell us that story and, and what it felt like for you to, to be able to be there and, and experience with her? Yeah. You know, at that point, Jen had been using a walker for a few months and, you know, it was these simple day-to-day things that you take for granted. You know, like you're, you're on the West coast, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. San Francisco uh, near Los Angeles. Okay. Near Los Angeles. You could be at the ocean and how long, and you could be running in the ocean. And, you know, I could get into a car right now and drive a handful of hours and go run in the ocean. But here in this situation, Jen, she loved the ocean. It was one of her favorite things to do was to, you know, go swim in the ocean. And now it was something that wasn't a guarantee. It wasn't uh, something like, yeah, we're just going to go do this uh, because of, the pain in her legs and, and how her legs were getting weaker. She didn't think she was going to be able to swim. And it was, you know, it bummed her out. It was another thing that cancer was threatening to take away. And, you know, this whole experience is such a mental and, and emotional challenge as well as physical. So, so we got on the train. We're headed to North Carolina to vacation with, uh, with Jen's family on the beach. And for the first few days, you know, we'd walk along the beach and pick up shells and, and Jen would sit in a chair kind of near the edge of the water. So the waves would start to make their way towards her and then they would fade out quick enough to just wash over her feet. It was relaxing. It was wonderful. It, we weren't at the hospital. We weren't seeing doctors. We were just at the beach relaxing. So after a few days, Jen wanted to go in the water. And she said if her sister Laura and I would hold her hands, she would you know, go in maybe up to her knees or maybe try and feel some waves coming in. 
Yeah, that was great. I, I, I was watching Jen, you know, brace herself, herself for the waves and, you know, it felt good for the, the waves to hit her body and she felt that feeling of the ocean and the sand underneath her feet and shells underneath there. And so we did that one day and then, you know, Jen was pretty exhausted and we went back out the next day and we're doing the same thing. And I knew it wasn't enough for Jen. I just, she was a very determined woman. And when she got something in her head, you could just see her wheels spinning. And, and she was, she was tough, you know, and determined. So I'll never forget that moment where she just looked at me and said, let go. Like I mentioned in the video, it was this moment where just for a minute, there wasn't cancer. You know, Jen was floating and, and kicking and just calm and comfortable and there was a little bit of peace there. And it was a moment, as I mentioned earlier, it's something that I, I never, ever want to forget that feeling of that moment because it's what keeps me grounded here on earth. It's, it's what reminds me of what I do have and what I can do and what I've experienced. It was just beautiful to see Jen happy. Yeah. You know, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, it was just strange. It was like 85 or something degrees. The sun's beating down and standing there in the ocean, bawling my eyes out, you know. It was Jen not giving up and not letting cancer stop her from experiencing something that she wanted to do to just, you know, to cancer wasn't going to take that away from her. And I think that that's something that I, I want people to see and understand about our stories, that it's not just cancer. It's about life and it's about embracing what you want. And I think our our story is more about love than it is about loss. And it's more about life than it is about death. And I understand it's, it's people are going to see it in different ways. And I, I can't tell people what to think. And I don't want to do that. But I hope that people don't run away from these stories in our photograph because Jen passed after being diagnosed with cancer. You know, there was um, an interesting article the other day about saying that someone lost his or her battle with cancer, then it really isn't that, you know, Jen had cancer and she died. She didn't lose by any means, you know, and I guess these photographs have made me think a lot more about life and how I'm living my life and what I'm doing. And I guess I, I just hope that people will see these photographs and think, Yeah, you know, well, you have a, a lot of images of her, you know, before and, and during this time. What's the image of her that you have on your nightstand or your desk? Do you have a particular picture that you have that amongst all the, you know, thousands of images that you have that is special to you? Could you tell me about that particular photograph and, well, and why that's special? I have um, a few photographs up. One of the photographs my, my oldest friend made the day after our wedding, and it's me with my arms around Jen making a, a self-portrait of the two of us. And that one's right above my computer, but... The photographs I made, I have a photograph of Jen that was made. We were celebrating our, our fourth anniversary and we're out at a, a restaurant in, in the village and you see New York City behind her and Jen's just leaning on her chin or on her, her the palm of her hand is on her chin. And uh, I have that on my wall because I, I remember it being this moment of peace and beauty where just for a split second, we were a young couple on our fourth anniversary you know, not a young couple facing cancer and her eyes are so big and beautiful and, and she looks beautiful. And I, I just remember that, that moment. And it was our last anniversary together, but 
you know, the different photographs bring different meanings at different times. I kind of bounce around with which ones are my favorite, but I, I think ultimately the ones that are my favorite are the photographs where I, I did hold the camera out at arm's length and made a, a portrait of the two of us together because we would just, we would get so close and Jen would always kind of nestle into my, right into my shoulder and, and kind of like puzzle pieces. And just because it's, it, it's us together, mm. you know, that's why I love those photographs the most. Oh. And she loved doing that. That was her favorite thing, you know, was pictures of the two of us. So it reminds me of, of how much she loved me. That's wonderful. A question that I usually ask, and right now, I don't know if it's even a, uh, even appropriate to ask, but I'll ask it anyway, and I may not even use it. But the last question I usually ask is, is I ask a, a photographer to recommend another photographer who they mm-hmm. admire, uh, whose work was either inspira- inspiration. It can be someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. Do you have a, a particular photographer that you'd like to suggest for our listeners to, to discover for themselves? Yeah, you know, uh, I was always a fan of Eugene Richards, and his photographs to me are so, I mean, he just gets in there and, and, and captures these feelings. And I, when I look at his photographs, I feel something, you know, I, I feel the wind in a photograph. I feel the texture of the photograph. I think he really tells a story that, you know, you can't help but be put into that place. He also, I think in the early 80s, he, he and his late wife, Dorothea, put out a book called Exploding Into Life. She had actually passed and it was, she had breast cancer. And this book is more text driven than it is photo driven. But this was in, like I said, the early 80s. And I remember hearing about that book a few years ago and getting it and reading it and thinking of how it was the same thing we were experiencing 30 years later. There was a chapter like at the end of it, he, he writes how he's now here he is with all of her notes on the bed and he's having to put this book together to, to finish what they started. And I remember reading that and thinking, that's going to be me, you know, just having this connection to this body of work. And then, you know, after Jen passed, I, I shared the, the photographs with a few other people and was invited to be part of an exhibition in Brooklyn. And one of the nights of that exhibition, uh, Eugene Richards spoke at a, as part of a panel. And after he spoke, I introduced myself and told him, that, you know, my photographs were part and they were, of the young woman with breast cancer and that I had been very moved by his book exploding into life. And, you know, I, I, I never met him. I didn't know how personal this would be for him or, or what kind of person he was, but we went and looked at the photographs and I'll never forget beyond photographer, but as man to man, as we were saying goodbye, he gave me a hug, kissed me on the cheek and said, you're going to be okay, baby. <laughs> and then I just <laughs> thought, wow, what a beautiful human being that he, it, it, it wasn't about photographs anymore. It was a, a widower to another widower. It was, you know, he just passed on this life lesson and doesn't mean that his photographs are any better or worse because of that interaction. But he just, now when I look at his photographs, I, I look at them knowing that he is this loving, sensitive human being. You know, I, I, th- I just think his photographs to me are as real and raw as it gets and I think that anyone who, any photographer should look at his work, but especially if you're interested in documentary or storytelling, if you look at the photographs he make, makes, the stories he tells, his commitment to these stories, I think that he is a, a must-see for anyone who wants to do documentary work. Absolutely. So where can people go to find out more about your work and, and you and your wife's story? 
my website is mywifesfightwithbreastcancer.com. And from there, you can go to our Facebook page, which, you know, the, the website has a, my working edit. I'm working on a book right now, actually working with Whitney Johnson, who is the director of photography at The New Yorker. She's editing the book with me. So you can see a, a, the edit that I have on that website, but then the Facebook page that's linked there is kind of interesting because you see people's responses to our story. And I post regularly there, I'll share thoughts or different photographs or random things. And if someone is interested in following along, the, the Facebook page is a great way to go. But there are a few videos on the website and our story of, of how we met and what we went through. Well, Angela, thank you so much for telling uh, tell the story of, of you and, and Jennifer's life together. It was uh, very moving for me, and I'm really honored to have the opportunity to share it with my listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to, that you would want to help share our story and that you were moved. That means a lot to me. So thank you very much, and it was wonderful talking with you as well. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.